Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast, as always, brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one training facility. If you want to raise your game, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au. And also brought to you by my very own NBA tours, chrisanstey.com.au. If you'd like to hear more or find out more about them, where though? Before we get on to the, uh, the NBA finals, which have just completed, we spent five days together in Perth. Happy 40th. We had a good time. We planned on recording one of these in the same room. It's fair to say we're a little bit intoxicated to do that. Yeah, good times got in the way, that's for sure. And um, very appreciative of my mates that came over and got to spend some time with me. Um, a, a rarity for people to come to the West. It is like a international holiday. It takes forever to get here. Um, but... We had some fun. We had complaints from the neighbours on night one for playing basketball in the back. Uh, we had complaints on night three um, and a, a bit of fun in between. So uh, it's a shame that we didn't get a podcast done. But that being said, I don't think I would have changed those five days for anything in the world. We had a lot of fun. And while we were there, we watched game four at the Sporting Globe, another one of our friendly partners. Um down there in Belmont, we, we caught up with a couple of ex-Wildcats, Sean Redditch and, well, and Coach John Rilly, of course. Uh, the Wildcats do it a little bit differently to what we do it here. There's a different vibe. There's a different feel. There's a different level of seriousness uh, amongst the Wildcat army, I suppose. Do, yeah, do, yeah. do you get that at all? You, you've spent a couple of years. Do you get that? Well, I think the, be the best story that came out of that morning was uh, this is while you were talking to Sean Redditch, this uh, – Little old lady came up to me and said, why are all you Victorians here? And I said, well, I'm actually from WA and my mates are coming over because of my birthday. And instead of saying like, well, happy birthday or anything like that, her response was meh and walked away. So needless to say, between myself, you, uh, Luke Kendall, Andrew Parkinson, I think the Wildcats fans may be a little bit disgruntled still. But that being said, uh, they do see me on a bit more regular basis and uh, the Wildcats fans that I have seen for the last couple of years are a lot more friendly. And you have seen that as well when uh, you came to a game uh, last year with me that, uh, yeah, sometimes they hate us still and for the majority of them, they have moved on. No, no well, it, it's funny you say that. We're off on a tangent already and I kind of love it. We, we had our tour and we spent a night in Boston and we got in the lift at, at TD Garden. And as us Aussies do, we meet the locals and we'd like to think we're reasonably well-mannered and people love us tourists. And as we we're exiting the lift, there was a, a group on and they didn't quite seem to be as smiley as what we were. And one of the, the guys in our group as a lady was in it, was exiting the, the lift said, have a nice day, ma'am. And she turned around dead serious and said, don't you tell me what sort of day to have. I'll have whatever fucking type of day I want. I went, oh, that, I, I thought she was joking. And that was the absolute mentality of the fans in Boston across the board, which was a fascinating, fascinating I, insight. I, I, I like these tangents because I've got a good Brian Gorgian story. Let's go. <laughs> we, uh, I was playing for the South Dragons at the time. Uh yeah, South Dragons. And we'll, we went there to play against West Sydney Razorbacks. And so we're in Sydney. Uh, obviously, Gorge and I had been there the year before under the Sydney Kings. 
And so Gorge is in a good mood. He's back in Sydney. I'm in a good mood. I'm back in Sydney. We check into our hotel. Gorge and I are both getting into an elevator with this guy. And Gorge, in the way that he does, is like, G'day, mate. How are you? Like in the American accent that Gorge does it. And the guy goes, fuck off, Seppo. And Gorge goes, excuse me? And the guy goes, never liked Americans, never will. And you're just proving my point even more. Piss off. (laughs) I thought Gorge was about to go him in the elevator. He got that fiery in there. And I'm just standing looking. It was like tennis. My head was swiveling that quickly with insults going back and forth. And luckily the guy uh, got out before we did. But I reckon Gorge wanted to shoulder check him on the way out, which would have been perfect. But there's just some different breeds out there. That's for sure. We we won't do it now, but we did... Tell a couple of Gordon stories that probably haven't been told as frequently in public as what a lot of the other ones have. We might try to get him on if we can at some stage while he's in the country. And instead of asking him basketball-related questions, we might ask him some periphery questions. But, hey, uh, the NBA's done. Uh, let's not go over the games. But what do you take away? And, and, and let's do it the right way. Let's, let's just ex- exclusively talk about Denver. What are your takeaways from the from the NBA Finals and the NBA champion, Denver Nuggets? Better superstars, better role players, better buy-in across the board, which is hard against a Miami team, but I thought they did have better buy-in at the end of the day. And um, the length of Denver overwhelmed Miami for me. Um, their mid... Denver, uh, Miami relied heavily on that mid-range game uh, going all the way to the championship series. They they were killing teams in the mid-range game with quality outside shooting. I thought for the most part they remained quality outside shooters. However, their mid-game just got totally taken away with the length of Aaron Gordon, who is sort of like an unheralded hero in this series, in my eyes, not only because of the defense that he was able to play on Jimmy Butler, uh, but his acceptance of his role, um, where he was the guy in Orlando, but has turned into a really good role player that cuts hard, fills the dunker spots, and plays defense, and he's thriving in that role. So, yeah, no, for me, I just thought Denver was just a, the better team across the board. And I would add the same to, uh, uh, to to Michael Porter, where a lot of question marks over him when he got drafted. Bad back, bad attitude, bad guy. But they were set on their superstars, Joe Kitchen Murray, and they were afforded the ability to take a risk. And some of the plays he made, whether they be contested out of his area rebounds or extra passes or bring it down and find open shooters. I thought we didn't see that three years ago. Uh, it shows you the the change in mindset that's possible when you play around guys like Joe Kitchen Murray. For me, two things stood out was that Jamal Murray, I'm probably in the minority here, but I think that Jamal Murray is good enough to be a number one guy in an NBA championship team almost. And he didn't quite make my list that we read out the other week, but he, as much as anyone, I think, has sacrificed that uh, to be a part of Denver. His comeback from injury 
has been absolutely timed to the day. And I think a lot of, a lot of credit goes to the club itself, A, for drafting those two guys and building around them. I think not much has been spoken about their decision to get rid of Bones Highland and in on a lot of people's in a lot of people's minds have less talent in the team by removing him. But you know, I, I think it's become common knowledge now that there was a cultural issue with with Bones Highland not fitting in, wanting a bigger role, wanting it to be a bit more about him. They didn't want any piece of that. They just wanted to get rid of him. The, the word you didn't use right at the start. I think Denver just believed all along they were going to win this thing. Whether it was destiny, whatever it was, they, they moved the ball great. They committed to both ends of the floor. Um, we touched on the CBA a few weeks ago and I heard a bit of commentary, which was fascinating that Denver may be one of very few teams in the league that when the CBA flips over and the, those mid-range players are really hurt with the amount of money that they can earn. Denver becomes one of the absolute top destination clubs because if you're not going to get paid what you think you're worth anyway, you'd much rather go and play with Jokic and play with Murray and play with unselfish guys to increase your value, to increase your chances of winning a championship and then move on if you need to. But I just reckon they've placed themselves in a position where you will have to go through Denver to win the West and to win the NBA for the next three, four, five years. I think the one guy that comes to mind for me is Bruce Brown. Like, he put himself in the perfect situation for him to get paid. I think he made just under $5 million this year. Uh, I thought he was valuable for the Nets uh, the year before. But this season, you know, as a slasher, as a rebounder, uh, as someone who doesn't need the ball in his hands, I thought he was really, really good for this entire series, like really good, and an entire season. He's added a three ball to his game. His value is going to go up, of course, but I can see him being a guy going, well, I, I don't need it to go up. Like this is a really good fit for me. And he gets to play off Jokic. The other thing that I think goes without saying is, uh, Jokic is probably the most unselfish star that we've seen since a Tim Duncan, where it's not about him at all. It's about what makes the team better. And he's been able to elevate so many of his teammates to be better for playing around him. He always makes the right pass. He always, I heard um, uh, one of the guests on Bill Simmons the other day saying, We're almost at a point of watching 48 minutes of the right decision, which is really hard to do as a basketball player. But it seems like he makes the right decision majority of the time. And Mike Malone made that exact comparison to Tim Duncan. He never met Tim Duncan. He never coached Tim Duncan. But from all the stories, was that? And I think the other point that I've heard come up a few times, and it probably speaks to the unselfishness of uh, Jokic, is that You've just said that he elevates the players around him. I think what Denver have done, they've, they've put players around Jokic to elevate him also. So they've put in superstars like Jamal Murray that are very happy to play without the ball in their hands and to be active. For example, there's no way James Harden could play on that team. No. He would not be willing to move without the ball. And I think Aaron Gordon, you've mentioned all these other guys, absolutely agree that Jokic elevates them, but I think in return, 
because of their buy-in, they elevate him to be able to make some of the passes, knowing that they'll be where the ball's meant to be heading. So I think it's uh, it goes both ways. So that, look, every everyone's covered this to death. Uh, we we don't ever want to become too basketball-y in it. We want to look at it a little bit differently. We had a conversation when I watched Game Five with a few people, and someone said that they if you if you're Denver wouldn't you almost want to wouldn't you want to win in Miami on the road to shut the crowd down to party in Miami now completely different level of course i you know i won a couple of nbl championships late in my career i never got one at home Here it was a, a shitty tuesday night in sydney and i tell you what if there's one thing i wish i could have experienced was winning one at home in front of my home crowd, having everyone's family and friends be able to come together afterwards and, you know, in, enjoy that element of it. I I mean, you've won one at home. Tell us about that. Um, well, I got to do one in the NBL and I got to do one in Germany. Um, uh, and for both separate situations, well, they're actually about four months apart from one another, and the Melbourne one, obviously, was my first one, so I had a bit more. Uh, I was a bit more emotionally attached to that one, just because, as you know, it, it's hard to win. They're bloody hard to win. Um, I'd much rather do it in front of my home crowd. At the end of the day, I think um, it's hard enough to win one without trying to pick where you win it. Um, the one in Germany was crazy to say the least like that that home crowd win and we we took a bus into the town square um an hour after we'd won and the crowd was as back as the eye could see and to be able to celebrate that with our fans was amazing um the one with the dragons to enjoy that night uh in your hometown was amazing um beggars can't be choosers at the end of the day i'm pretty sure you wouldn't take your championships back for anything, be it on the, on the road or at home. You, you um, know, no, no, of course not. But you know what I, especially the game five one, you're not left with any other choice, but I, you know what, there was a part of me, I thought Denver would sweep Miami. I didn't see how Miami were going to get a win, but I said to a few people early on, I said, look, in their heart of hearts, if Denver knew that they could win in game five, or in fact in game seven, do you think that they would prefer to win at home, A, for the extra game, but B, to be able to do it in their home city for a city that's never experienced an NBA championship? And I think as a business, you would rather it. As a player, you would rather it. It so happened to turn out that way, and I can only imagine that the experience for everyone involved in Denver would be far elevated to what, that, what it would have been if they had have swept and won in Miami. Just a, a side note having lived in Denver for four years um, and knowing sort of what the crowd is and and the people of Colorado, Mike Malone's like the perfect coach for that team. <laughs> like he's an unapologetic, this is what we are. If we kick your ass, yeah, we kicked your ass. If we get our ass kicked, I'm going to tell you that we got our ass kicked on the day. There's just no blurred lines with him. Um, and I think every franchise would love a coach like that at the end of the day. Um, but I'm happy that he's found success in Denver. And obviously, 
it helps when you've got someone called Nikola Jokic on your team, leading the team at the end of the day. But um, some people spoke about him being caught up with the Lakers and, you know, obviously he makes little comments here and there. I thought he coached really well all all series, all final series. He was he was definitely up there. And as much credit that we give Eric Spolstra for being one of the best coaches, I think we should talk about Mike Malone in the same sort of breath of he's he's really proven himself as a great coach. It's one thing to be able to have someone like Nikola Jokic who makes those passes and there's a system involved to their movement. It's more than just the player. So I agree, absolutely. Now, Nikola Jokic, I'm on record often as loving the quote comparisons, the thief of joy. And, you know, we did our, you know, our Australian NBL shrine and shrine of imports and we, we stole a leaf from Bill Simmons's book and we didn't place someone as the greatest of all time or the fourth greatest. We were happy to, I suppose, put a number of people into this shrine. Build a Mount Rushmore. Build a When we talk about the whichever conversation you'd like to have, whether it be the greatest centers of all time, the greatest non-American basketball players of all time, and even perhaps soon some of the greatest players of all time, Nikola Jokic has to at the very least, it's hard to imagine any of the people in those conversations, especially in the first two, the greatest centers and the greatest non-Americans being significantly better than him. He has to be now considered. Where, where, would, you, where would you place favorite. him all time? Would you say he's a top 50, top 20? Where, where he, has to be, he has to be top 50, doesn't he? Already. Oh, has to be. 100%. Yeah, I mean, a two-time mind. MVP, NBA champion, <clears throat> NBA championship MVP, the historical statistics he's been able to accumulate. I, I just think, you know, it comes back to him being in a small market. Um, a lack of casual fan appreciation for his skill set because it doesn't involve traditional highlights like deep threes, you know, dunking on people. But the craft, the IQ, and the, the thing we didn't mention before with Denver they have an extraordinarily high IQ team on the floor at all times. Uh, again, maybe Michael Porter doesn't fit into that straight away, but he's gotten better and you can afford one. But everyone else, else has that IQ to go with their length uh, and make them extremely hard to beat. But I don't know, where would you have Jokic? I'm not sure if you're happy to allocate a number, but geez, even... Oh. I think that he'd be top 25 now of all time. I was going to say we've spoken about narrative before and how the narrative plays a huge part in the NBA. Um, It's funny that everyone wants to talk about the narrative of the statistical accomplishments of Jokic and what he's doing and why he's so great. But you can't talk about the statistical greatness of LeBron and put him in the discussion of greatest of all time because they go to championships. And so it is a, it, 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 matter, it depends on who you are, is depend on the way that people want to view people at the end of the day. Now, Jokic for me is a top 25 player of all time. For what he's doing, the way that the game is being played, 
and what he's able to do on a nightly basis, what he's been able to do throughout this entire finals has been amazing to watch. And he's not like any other centre that we've sort of seen in the league before about how he does it. He does it efficiently. He covers the the passing aspect. He covers the rebounding aspect. He can score when he wants when he wants to. And the only knock on his game is his defense. I don't know about you, but I thought his defense was pretty solid throughout the finals. <laughs> it was, and as much as anything, he's an incredibly smart positional defender. Correct. He doesn't need to. And then the thing is, you'll you'll look at it and say he didn't make a play on the ball or he let someone take a layout because he's too smart to pick up a cheap foul early in the game. So he picks and chooses his moments to go and be an elite defender, but not at the risk of the downside of him being of him sitting on the bench. Um, as we speak, I'm just looking up, and there's a reason I'm looking up Bill Simmons' pantheon of the greatest 10, 12 players and I, I haven't got it on the top of my head and I should have prepared better, but if I were to throw some names at you that I think very consistently sit in the greatest of all time, does Jokic sit, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Tim Duncan, these are some of the, the generational, historical greatest bigs of all time. Are you comfortable placing him in that stratosphere, I suppose? I guess the only thing that you can say is he just doesn't hasn't had the longevity yet. Um, but I don't like I can see him playing at a high level for the next five to six years. It's not like his athleticism's going anywhere, um, and he's not dependent on it. <clears throat> correct. So uh, I think we still need a little bit more time as far as that goes. But as far as as a player, who you would take? I think you can put him in the same breath as a Kim Olajuwon, as a Shaq, as a Bill Russell, as a Wilt Chamberlain. Um, but history will say we can't put him in there just yet, just we need more years. The same as we'd say that about Giannis as far as where he's uh, heading in his career. Uh, if he continues to play at a similar level as what he's played the last, you know, three, four, five years, we'll be considering him one of the best as well. So they're definitely on their way. They've definitely got a solid body of work behind them. Uh, but with all those players that I'd previously mentioned, we're, we're talking, you know, a decade's worth of quality basketball that they've been, that they've displayed before that point. Before we get off the NBA and, and we'll jump straight into a couple of other teams that weren't involved in the NBA playoffs, a couple of big names attached to rumours. I just would like to know if you'd make the move if you were the team bringing them in. Okay. Well, the rumour already with the Miami Heat are pursuing one of either Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard. I would take Damian Lillard over Kyrie. And, 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 and give up plenty. Yeah, I think, I think you would. Um, I, I would assume that you're probably going to lose a Gabe Vincent to free agency um, because he'll want his payday somewhere else. But if if you were able to maintain a Dame, a Jimmy and a Bam uh, and then 
do your plug-in pieces around and trust that heat culture, I think that would go a long way. But the heat definitely missed that superstar element that I think that Dame Lillard would be able to bring. Now, here's an interesting one. And this, I was listening to Sam Vecini, a friend of mine who I did a little bit of work with and is, is, is as good as a draft analyst as I've met. There's a very strong conversation going on that the New Orleans Pelicans are positioning themselves to get Scoot Henderson mm-hmm. at either number two or number three. But to do so, they would need to give up either Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. In a vacuum, if you were to give up, would you give up Ingram? I would, especially with the salary cap issues coming up. The interesting one is with the ceiling that we're yet to have seen, would you give up Zion Williamson and quit on that to get Scoot Henderson and bring him into the New Orleans Pelicans? Do all the baby mamas come at the same time as Zion? Or Let's keep that... it to on-court for now, but there hasn't been a lot of on-court. Um, I'm more likely to give up Zion than BI. And right. the reason that I'm doing that is Zion is yet to play a season healthy. Um, while he has exceptional talent and is gifted in so many ways... Um, Brandon Ingram's out on the court more frequently. I think he's still uh, developing his game where I don't think he's reached a ceiling yet. Uh, so I'd, I'd be more willing to give up a Zion than a Brandon Ingram to bring in a Scoot Henderson. You know what? Years ago, I was doing a podcast for one of the betting companies and when Zion was projected to be unanimous number one draft pick. I was on record as they were comparing him to potentially the greatest power forwards of all time. Mm -hmm. And I said, they'd be lucky to get Zach Randolph out of Zion Williamson. And the reason I said that was because his body type is going to lend itself to constant injury. Uh, He doesn't shoot the ball that well. And when he when his athleticism falls off a cliff, there's not a bunch there that he can go to. We saw that at some level with Blake Griffin. Mm -hmm. As soon as his athleticism dropped, he's gone to a sometimes player. But Zach Randolph in himself is a very serviceable big and probably had some longevity to him. But as much as Zion's ceiling is one of the top 10 to 15 players in the league at any given time, that's no good to you in the, you know, sitting on the end of the bench or in the locker room with street clothes on. Yep. So I tend to agree. Let's flick it across to the NBL word. I know you've got, you've had some thoughts about the next star program and it promises to be incredibly, an incredibly exciting season for that. We could, you know, we've got number of NBA draft eligible players coming into the league. And, you know, we, we spoke, a couple of months ago, that one of the benefits about this new CBA that was a danger to the NBL was if the NBA rescinded the right for the play or the requirement for the players to play play a seat or to play a season of college. So the NBL Next Stars program stays alive. We have plenty of talent coming in. Is there someone coming in that excites you more than others? How do you see it? Well. Um... Let's run through the list of who's actually coming. 
So uh, Bobby Clintman is now officially signed with the Cairns Taipans. Who would have guessed, Chris? If you'd followed our socials, you would have known this probably about six weeks ago, I reckon. Um, yeah, we're not news breakers. You just know things. Alex Saar, yeah, the French uh, kid, is going to Perth. Uh, Mantis, and I'm not even going to try and say his last name. Rubstavicious, I just did. Um, the Lithuanian is going to New Zealand Breakers. Uh, AJ Johnson to the Illawarra Hawks. We still have Ariel Hakpordi at Melbourne. Uh, and the draft eligibles are Taron Armstrong and uh, Cairns and David Aquera in Perth. Out of all those kids, there's probably two that I'm interested in seeing the most. I'm interested in seeing Mantis, the Lithuanian kid, and I'm interested in seeing Bobby Clintman from Cairns. Um, Clintman, as we had previously said, announced, is if he was going to go first round, he was probably going to, he was going to stay in the NBA. But if he was going to go second round, he would find himself in Cairns. They probably had him around pick 41, 42. Currently, um, long, athletic. He's going, he's, he's going to be exciting in Cairns' system because he's going to get opportunity. And um, similar to Rupert last year, who got good opportunity and was ready to play both ends of the court, I think Bobby Clintman's going to do similar up in Cairns. Um, the Lithuanian kid, 6'7", wing, He's projected probably around 54, I think, at last check um, with New Zealand. I can't imagine they were going to bring in a kid that wasn't ready to play either. And uh, there's something about lefties that just make the game. Uh, I think it was Tom Hurts said, you know, set number 17 left-hander. Surely that's Chris Mullen. Uh, comparison, I'll go with it. All good. Alex Saar, 7-1. Coming to Perth, interesting signing. Uh, this, this this is the one that fascinates me with the physicality correct, of a correct. professional league opposed to college. So obviously you've brought in Keanu Pinder to be your star big for this season. Um, with their roster that they've currently got, you know they've got Pinder, they've got David Aquera, they've got Jesse Wagstaff. They brought in Chaim Harris uh, over from Adelaide. He's probably going to get some backup minutes, but what does that look like for Perth? And obviously, he's got a lot of physical tools that are impressive in one-on-zero workouts that we've seen, and he can dunk stuff. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting I'll, I'll to see you, how I'll he takes one, the physicality. I'll give you, you one more there. Who does he learn from? Just read that list out again you just read, and in your head, who does he learn from? That, that's what worries me. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Keanu Pinder's probably the obvious choice as far as the way that he goes. I mean, back-to-back, most improved players, um, has really carved out a niche of almost being on the outer from the NBL. Um, that doesn't happen by just luck. There has to be a, an element of hard work and opportunity that presented itself for Kiana, and he found it in Cairns in the right place at the right time. Um, the one thing, and you, you'd understand this as much as what I do, 
when you're bought in from overseas, um, nothing is always great. There is a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, and when it comes to the lows of the lows of going through a season, and, and all these kids will go through it at some stage, uh, Alex Saar will probably be leaning on Jesse Wagstaff for that. Um, and Jesse's only really there. They've, and, and Bryce Cotton, obviously, as well. They're two sure, veteran players. The, the, off, the off-court stuff, no problem. I'm just, you've got a seven-foot-one NBA prospect and you surround, you know, you, I look back at who I learned from and I, I had Mark Bradkey, John George, Tony Robinson. I know you've had similar, and it's not what you say off the court, it's what you learn from competing against them every day and from them being in your ear and, mm-hmm educating you as you go along that that's the part that i'm fascinated in as well as well as the physical development but look across the league what other team can actually that's exactly why i say to you i'm fascinated and we've had this conversation before whether it's scott roth in tasmania who's obviously been a big uh in the nba before a daniel kickett uh in in sydney I'm just trying to go through. Well, we'll, see, well Sydney gets – see, if they, if he had have gone to Sydney and he's got Kickett and Longley, no problem at all. Absolutely. And Bogut there the, as well. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. And the last one uh, – not the last one, but AJ Johnson. Now, there is a lot of hype on this kid, a lot of hype. Uh, he's a projected lottery pick in 2024. This is another one where it's going to come down to physicality for me. Looks awesome, one on zero going downhill. Great. But the physicality is going to test him. Uh, and and uh, I don't know about opportunity as well. Like, they've got the two import point uh, guards in Robinson and in uh, Harvey. Uh, strong speculation, if it hasn't already, that... Blanchfield will be back in Illawarra as well as their three man. Um, I I don't think he's going to live up to the billing of what everyone's okay. expecting out of him, um, and his toughness might be exposed. Uh, Taron Armstrong, I think, is a great pickup for Cairns and great opportunity for him to play that starting point guard role in the Ford factory. You think he'll start? I think he will. See, he's still the one for me that I'm – I can't wait to see him for an extended period of time and with a bigger body of work. I've mentioned on this before, but it's worth repeating that when we had the under-20 championships three years ago, I think it was three years ago, and I saw every single kid in detail because I was coaching, Josh Giddy, Dyson Daniels, and Tarrant and Tarrant Armstrong were all on the same level. Yeah. Within you know small, slightly different strengths and weaknesses, but the, the one thing Tarrant never had, which would have suited his skill set incredibly well, was talented teammates. I, I can't wait to see what he looks like with guys who can finish plays around him because he never had that, and was forced to finish his own plays more regularly than what he would have liked to have done. Yep. I, I'm, I still reckon he could be a, a sneaky chance of being a late first-round NBA draft pick. Yep. Huck Porty, I think we give to mid-season to give an honest grade on where he's going to be. I, I really liked what he was about. 
um, as a rim protector, as a rim-to-rim runner. Um, I'm excited to see him back. He's an NBA athlete. Absolutely. And then David Aquera is the last one who dropped out of the draft, Chris, shockingly. However, that being said, I think him moving out of Melbourne is a really good thing for him. I think no, I agree. Going to be I'm more little, opportunity in Perth. It was a little bit tongue in cheek when I said, you know, David Aquera dropping out of the NBA drafts like me dropping out of the Melbourne Cup. It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, so I agree. I, I'm fascinated. He's an undersized foreman. Mm-hmm. Uh, his improvement has been rapid. I, I wonder if he's hit his ceiling or if he's near his ceiling. I hope he, I hope he hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be fascinating. As you say, he's out of Melbourne now. A different coach, a different philosophy, different teammates, different level of comfort. Um, but he had to move. You know, it's Perth have brought him in. They've lost Luke Travers. It, it's it's one for one if that's the role he's expected to play. I was play. about to say that would have been a good trade machine one of both needing different environments. Uh, three other names that I'm just going to throw out to you with no context. Josh Bannon, Flynn Cameron, Ben Henschel. I'm excited to see all those three players as well as they start their first season in the NBL. Yeah, as am I. You know, Henschel, I don't know as much about as what others have. He sort of came a little bit after I was involved with the state program. Josh Bannon, I, I coached and had a good look at. And One thing he's been able to do, he grew up exclusively playing as a five in a small club and had to learn the four and, and in turn learn some of the three. And he's done a really, really good job at it. So he's a, a made player. He, he's tough. He can shoot it. He's high IQ. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes. So um, kind of remember who the third one was now, were they? Flynn Cameron, the son of oh, yeah, the great, yeah, great. Cameron. I, we mentioned, you know, the United backcourt, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see where his minutes are. It's going to be interesting to see which of their backcourt can score the basketball outside of Chris Golden or create their own shot. You know, he has the opportunity to be that guy. Um, his physical capabilities, are ex- he's not like AJ where I think he is physically ready to go. He's in a program that's proven to develop players to a level they'll be looked at by the NBA and you know, of all those three, I'll probably see him in person as much as any. So we'll uh, we'll report back on him, him and Huck Porty. Very good. I think that's it, were though. It's uh, it's been an incredible NBA season. What we're going to do is we'll keep in touch with NBA news, with 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 player movement. But uh, we've got a a list of really really interesting people we want to get on this and and pick their brain and ask some questions they're not ordinarily asked. So. Great NBA season. Let's get into the interview stage and uh, keep rolling these out. I'm, I'm excited for some of the stories we're going to share and some of the people we're going to speak to. Me too, mate. Thanks for another episode. Thanks for coming over to the West. I appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time, probably tomorrow. <laughs> See you, everyone.